From Schwartz Media, I'm Elizabeth Coolass. This is 7am. As Labor responds to an internal review of its election defeat, some in the party feel they've already lost the next election. And while they struggle with uncertainty, the coalition struggles with the task of governing. Paul Bongiorno on the difficulties of winning and losing. Is that you, Elizabeth? Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm quite well. I'm now going back into the studio. (laughs) Closing the door, sitting myself down. When you're ready, I'm hot to trot. Okay, let's get into it. Paul, Labor will respond to its election loss review today. What are we expecting that Anthony Albanese's response will be? Well, Anthony Albanese will give his formal response to the review at the National Press Club, in fact, today. Look, he's keen to move on. He's already said that he wants this review and the election loss to be something in Labor's rearview mirror. Paul Bongiorno is a columnist for the Saturday paper. He's going to obviously have to and will acknowledge the identified lessons that he will say are well learned. He accepts now that his job is, well, to keep the party together, and that's not going to be an easy thing. Heal the wounds if he can, and I'm sure he'll do this. Uh, He won't be leading any call for bloodlust or any recriminations. And in fact, he's going to say that the job has now begun to position the party for the next election, which is due in 2022. So unity, anything that'll get the party unified, is that the name of the day? Well, look, I think it is. But what Albanese realises and the Labor Party has to come to terms with, the discipline we saw in the last six years under Shorten was in very large measure driven by the sniff, the scent of victory. And in fact, we might say in the last three years, the certitude in their belief that they were going to win. Unfortunately, the Labor caucus is shell-shocked and it's gripped more by the certitude that it's going to lose next time. And that in itself is a recipe for instability and disunity. So, Paul, you're saying that there are people within Labor, at least some, that feel they've already lost the next election in 2022. Yeah, the mood in the Labor caucus is that they've lost their moment, that the electoral cycle uh, had arrived at the moment for a change of government, mainly due to the appalling state that the Liberals seem to be in. I mean, basically six years, three prime ministers, and the last term, the the obvious undermining and brawling over uh, Malcolm Turnbull's leadership. Now, there is a view that the electoral cycle has begun to turn the other way and they could be out of power for another two terms. That could be wrong, of course. People had that view after Paul Keating won the uh, unwinnable election in 1993. Labor lost in a landslide in 1996 to John Howard. So what I'm talking about here is not the reality of who's going to win or lose next time, but the mood that is very much gripping many in the Labor caucus at the moment. And you're saying that makes the time task of discipline much harder for Albanese over the next couple of years. Yes, there's nothing like the scent of victory or the belief that you're certainly about to win to keep you in line, to make you bite your tongue, to um, not rock the boat. Albanese will give his response to the review today, but we got a sense of the content yesterday afternoon at a press conference with the review's authors. 
the lead reviewers, if you like, were the former South Australian Labor Premier Jay Weatherall and former Trade Minister Craig Emerson. We tried to put ourselves in the situation of the facts at the time. And without exception, the expectation was that Labor would win. And that mindset, uh, we do find, mm. um, infected the campaign and, and started to affect a lot of the thinking. The great irony is the attempt to actually um, build trust was actually the thing that created great fear. Um, so there's, there's something quite tragic about that. Well, I think it'll be uh, a long time before an opposition is as crazy brave, if I can put it that way, as Shorten was running such a big target campaign. Wayne Swan, who's the party president now, but was treasurer in the Rudd and Gillard governments, says the real problem was Labor had too many policies and these couldn't be effectively communicated to the electorate. And of course, that made it easier for the Liberals to characterise the agenda as big spending and big taxing. Swan says he firmly believes Labor cannot retreat on either the shape or content of its agenda. He says the size of that agenda is another thing. And I think that's a distinction we'll see more of. Not different policies, just fewer of them being emphasised. Swan says that means Labor must find a way of communicating its vision through a short list of high-profile, easy campaignable policies. What about the policies that Labor did take to the election? How did they go defending those in the review? Well, Swan and Shorten have both noted what Swan calls the effectiveness of the ruthless demonisation of these policies. They point particularly to the $60 million advertising spree by Clive Palmer, who Swan calls a single plutocrat, which is interesting. Labor, in fact, was outspent six to one by its opponents at the election. And the review accepts that Labor didn't do enough to defend what Swan calls its vulnerabilities on taxes. They didn't push back against the characterization of their agenda as big taxing and big spending. The party president points to issues with Shorten's leadership. And this gets a mention in review. He says we must also acknowledge that the agenda can only be as large as the voters trust in the leader and the party to deliver it. Now, political analyst Peter Brent said Shorten's evasive persona accentuated the negatives and the doubts Labor suffers over its handling of the economy. Peter Brent says Labor confused the difference between being in government and being in opposition. At the same time, Brent, who's quite a respected analyst, says Labor shouldn't overthink its loss. He says if people are ready to get rid of a government, don't stand in their way. Don't be difficult to vote for. Don't needlessly annoy voters and leave big, complicated policy announcements to when you're actually in government. One Labor insider who's seen the review describes its conclusion as dud leader, dud policies and dud campaign. Now, I think that's more out of bitterness than summing it up completely, but already we're hearing out in the commentariat that sort of analysis and it's coming, as I'm saying, straight out of the Labor party. So that's Labor. Where does the coalition find itself after winning that election? Do they have a review themselves? 
Well, yes, they do. Um, after every election, there is a review. But what they're finding right now is a truism of politics. It's often a lot harder to govern than it is to win an election. We'll be right back. As a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for the Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, the Saturday Paper, and you'll receive the Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. So, Paul, Labor's working through the findings of its election loss review, but the coalition has, as you say, this much harder job now of governing the country. What issues has this week presented them? Well, for one thing, we saw the worst Australian retail spending figures since the 1990 recession. And it's not being helped by the Reserve Bank holding interest rates at the emergency level of 0.75%. The RBA doesn't do that if it thinks the economy is finally beginning to perform better. So whatever the spin, the economic stimulus promised by the Morrison-Frydenberg tax cuts back in May hasn't registered. It's no stretch to posit an explanation like this. People are not feeling secure about their jobs, their wages aren't keeping pace with the cost of living, and they would prefer to begin paying down their contribution to Australia's record household debt rather than running out and shopping till they drop. On Tuesday, Melbourne Cup Day, the RBA Governor Philip Lowe said there was no winner for the economy or for the government, although he did say after a soft patch in the second half of last year, a gentle turning point appears to have been reached. Few economists agree with him, and some even say he threw that in there under pressure from the government. Anyway, an exception is uh, Stephen Kukoulos of Market Economics. He admits that he's a glass-half-full sort of guy. He says the tax cuts have in fact pumped billions into the economy, and he, like the Treasurer, says it'll take more time to take effect. But Lowe, the Governor of the Reserve Bank, still says it'll take the economy another two years to grow to a better but still comparatively weak 3%, with no significant wage growth. So that gentle turn will hardly be noticed, even on the admission of the glass-half-full economist and the Reserve Bank Governor. Paul, it feels like every week we talk about the government facing down some bad economic data and basically refusing to do anything. What is it doing? Well, it's masterful in buying time. One thing the government is really good at is announcing reviews and inquiries. We have uh, several royal commissions now underway and several others that have recently reported into banking and superannuation, uh, into the NDIS, into disabilities, and, and of course the interim report into aged care. But the problem with reviews, of course, or inquiries, any of them, I guess, is that eventually 
they make findings and with that is the expectation of action. Yeah, and, and Elizabeth, that sure is the issue for this government. Um, the Aged Care Royal Commission delivered its interim report late last week and the government was particularly evasive. Greg Hunt, welcome to Insiders. Good morning, Fran. Minister, will the government stop neglecting older Australians right now and announce more funding for these home care packages right now? Health Minister Greg Hunt was reluctant on television on the weekend to announce an immediate $2.5 billion for home care packages for the elderly, even though the money is already provided for in the budget. This is not news to the government. When the government does announce this funding package in my EFO, will it be at least $2.5 billion? Uh, it will be a significant package, so I won't that high? preempt it. Uh, we it's another be- example of the government buying time or trying to work itself out as it goes. Hunt admitted the Aged Care Royal Commission went further than we expected, he said, in its scathing interim report, which blamed this and previous governments for neglect. The Commission found that the aged care sector is a sad and shocking system that diminishes Australia as a nation. Aging society. All right, well, we wait for the government. It will make us a better country and a better society uh, as a result of the Commission. All right. And then there's the drought task force as well, isn't there, Paul? Yes, Elizabeth, this report prepared by Major General Stephen Day was handed to the government, in fact, seven months ago. That is before the election. Cabinet's taken till this week to thrash out a response which again demanded significant spending and more emphasis on drought preparedness. Unveiled on Thursday was a billion dollars in concessional loans and half a million dollars in relief and infrastructure packages with an emphasis on hard-hit rural towns and businesses. The government, in fact, has got a new slogan. It's not setting and forgetting on drought response, which, of course, is just as well because no one knows when this drought will end. But when you've been in power for seven years, it clearly becomes increasingly difficult to pretend to be surprised by these things. So what is the coalition actually hoping for? Because surely this has to end. Buying time is not a strategy that can go on forever. Well, that's right. Um, Scott Morrison seems addicted to kicking the can down the road. But eventually, you do have to face the music one way or another. And of course, within three years, you have to face the voters. Paul, thank you so much. It's great to chat to you as always. Thank you, Elizabeth. You're such a lovely person. Bye. I've got a recording of that now, Paul. So. <laughs> <laughs> Join Richard Tognetti and the ACO for a bold and intrepid 2022. Featuring a live national concert season, their acclaimed on-demand film series ACO Studio Casts, and exciting programs from their new home in Sydney's Walsh Bay. Subscriptions now on sale at aco.com.au. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth, with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Elsewhere in the news, Australia's main electricity grid was briefly powered by 50% renewable energy for the first time ever this week. 
with solar, wind and hydro combining to deliver just over half the power supply to Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, Tasmania and South Australia. According to experts, this will become increasingly common. And the Andrews government has announced a plan to phase out native forest logging in the state by 2030, with the logging of old growth forests to stop immediately. The Andrews government has said it will provide $120 million in financial assistance to the timber sector to support the transition to a plantation-based supply. 7am is produced by Emile Klein, Ruby Schwartz, Atticus Basto and Elle Marsh with Michelle Macklem. Eric Jensen is our editor. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. If you've got a minute, please consider leaving a review for the show on iTunes or on Stitcher. It helps new people find the show and that helps us. This is 7am. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. See you next week.